What up, y'all? Welcome back into the bullpen. This is Fry Daddy here on Bullpen BS. Um, on a Wednesday night, we are two weeks away from NCAA College Basketball Conference tournaments. Uh, we're entering the best part of the sports calendar, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, every year we've got um, March Madness heating up, um, and then we kick right back into um, we finish off spring training and head into uh, the big league season. Um, so this is my favorite time of the year every year. Um, springtime, obviously, and um, just it's my it's always been since I was a little kid my favorite time of of a year as far as sports are concerned. Um, tonight we're going to dive into um, a little bit of um, college basketball preview of the of the tournament. We're going to talk about Joe Lenardi's uh, latest bracketology. Um, we'll talk about um, obviously the biggest controversy going on in the sport right now, and that is um, court storming and um, everybody's opinions about that. Um, and then we'll we'll talk about just a little bit of a preview of how how um, um, how we go about or how I go about filling out my bracket um, for the NCAA tournament every year um, and and just preview that a little bit. Um, we'll also talk about a little bit of the um, the running back conundrum um, and the free agency class that is running backs this year in the NFL. Um, pretty interesting uh, names and, and, and pretty interesting uh, topic there uh, overall. Uh, and then we'll finish with a little bit of our um, newest hobby, um, card collecting and flipping, um, having a ball doing that. Uh, but let's get into uh, college basketball. Joe Lenardi just dropped his um, latest bracketology tonight. And um, as a Kansas fan, uh, not too fired up about where they're sitting. However, I, I would rather them be where they're at than maybe in the east or south. Um, with UConn and Houston in those respective regions. Um, so Lenardi's, um, he, he usually tries to give his top 16, which are the top four seeds in each region. Uh, we'll go through these real quick, and then we'll discuss a little bit of, of, of um, not of each team, but, but certainly an, an overall preview here. Uh, it goes like this. Number one overall seed is Purdue. Um, I mean, obviously, with Zach Eady and 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 crew, they they've um, they've beat up on a lot of people this year. But I, man, I I just don't know that they're able. They're they're not built, and and I don't know that that painters Matt Painters teams have ever really been built for um, the tournament. I mean, they're they're early exiters frequently and um and 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 always as, as a as a top seed it seems um and so it's it's interesting that 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 
you know, we keep giving them a pass and, and they keep showing us who they are. Um, even though I think that there's, there's a handful of teams that are better than them this year. Um, number two seed and over, overall seed, the, the one in the East um, is UConn. Just a gauntlet of a roster. Um, you know, Kansas played them early in December and uh, in Allen Fieldhouse and, 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 and Kansas was able to, to, to win that ball game. And, and I, I still don't, I mean, there's been, you know, Kansas has beat three of the top four teams in the country so far this year. And I look at where Kansas sits now and, and I've watched, I've continued to watch those other teams play. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm amazed that Kansas was even able to stay in those games, let alone win all three of those games. And so, um, you know, with UConn, Houston, and and Tennessee, um, some really really good teams that that you know they were able to win. Obviously, two of them were at Allen Fieldhouse, and one of them was a was a um, neutral site um, in Hawaii. Uh, the th- number three overall seed, the Houston Cougars, in the South. Um, Kelvin Sampson's done a really good job of building that roster since he's got to Houston, man. I, 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 um, they're, they're not anywhere near and, and really, I don't think that a a college basketball team has ever been near that talent level of, of the nineties, um, UNLV teams when they, you know, with, uh, Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogman and them guys. But, um, but Houston's roster reminds me of that that kind of just tough but super talented. Um, they can win grinded out games. They can win sprint games. They can. Um, they're really really talented. Um, and and I really thought that you know with them coming into the Big Twelve this year that they'd you know they might start out strong and they didn't have a strong non conference schedule at all. And and I think they lost something like two of their first three Big Twelve games or something like that. And um, it 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 was it was looking like you know welcome to the Big Twelve. This is this is different than what you've ever been used to. And then they they've just um, they've lost one more time, and that was it at Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse, but. Uh, they found ways to win on the road. They found ways to, you know, they had a grinded out game uh, earlier this this week. I think it was Monday night, or maybe even Tuesday, maybe it was last night, uh, where they hosted Cincinnati and was able to grind out a sixty seven fifty nine win. Um, it, it was um, they're, they're impressive, and if you get a chance to watch them coming up here, um, y- you'll you'll probably be as impressed as I am. The four seed, the last one seed in the West is Arizona. Um, I'll be honest with you. I haven't had a chance to watch Arizona play much. Um, they, they've continued to, to win, obviously, and, and do it in an impressive fashion. And so I think that that's, you know, that continues to push them up, even though, again, uh, I would be, you'd be hard pressed to, to, um, find, you know, 
better teams with with star power, you know, with like with the likes of like Tennessee and North Carolina with with Davis in North Carolina and Connect and in Tennessee. I mean, they're 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 really really talented and and the, those types of teams with that kind of star power usually are the kind of teams that have deep runs in March. And so uh, Arizona right now gets that nod. Um, we'll see how this unfolds as we go. Um, five through 16, we'll rattle off here. It goes North Carolina, the two seed in the east. Tennessee, the two seed in the south. Marquette, the two seed in the midwest, where Purdue is the one seed. And Iowa State is the two seed in the West. Kansas gets a three seed in the Midwest, followed by Duke, the three seed in the South, Alabama, the three seed in the West, Baylor, the three seed in the East. And to round it out in the four seeds, you've got Creighton, the four seed in the South, Auburn, the four seed in the East, San Diego State, the four seed in the West, and Kentucky, the four seed in the East. I think, and this is my personal opinion, I I, I don't think that you want anything to do um, with the East or South regions. I mean, you talk about stacked UConn, uh, UConn, North Carolina, Baylor, and Auburn are the four, top four seeds in the East. Houston, Tennessee, Duke, and Creighton are the top four seeds in the South and that, that Creighton team. Now guys, look, Jenny and I, uh, uh, watch Creighton quite a bit. Um, some college friends of, of hers, um, are Trey Alexander's parents. Um, the guard for Creighton, um, uh, Jenny went to school with, with Trey's mom and dad in, in, in Kansas. And, um, so we watch, Creighton quite a bit um, just to watch Trey play and and um, they're they're a really really good talented team out of the Big East. I'm, I'm um, they're streaky, um, which you know they they shoot a lot of outside shots and 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 teams that do that obviously are going to be streaky, um, but but they're they're a dangerous team. Um, that you probably don't want any part of in in March. Um, that that that'll be that'll be a team to watch um, as you're filling out your bracket for sure. Um, as a Jayhawk fan, I don't know that I'm too terribly disappointed where they sit right now. Um, again, with Purdue being the the number one overall seed in the Midwest, um, I I know that they've been you know, a top five team all year or even a top three team all year. Um, but if you can find a way uh, to maybe, you know, get Edie in a place to where he's compromised and make the other guys beat you, I don't know that Painter has, has built something that, that – um can can last in March. I'll probably eat my words as soon as as the tournament gets here. Um, but I know that I'm not alone in that opinion either. 
Uh, I, I do think that there's a there's a number of talking heads on national um, programs that that feel the same way about Purdue. Uh, Marquette, you know, Marquette got the best of Kansas early out in Hawaii. Um, I, you know, I don't know that, that that's a team that necessarily is scary either. Um, you know, they don't really have that, that, um, star player that tends to carry teams in March. Um, and then, you know, Kentucky with them being the four seed in the Midwest, um, you know, you, you, Kansas has already beat um, Kentucky once this year uh, on a neutral floor in the Champions Classic. And, and um, you know, and, and, you know, I've watched Kentucky play a few times already in, in SEC play and, um you know they they've obviously got some guys and you, you know Reeves is a is a nice player that um um maybe not the star the the caliber of star player that you're used to seeing in March but you know if him and Shepard can get hot you know you know that's a team that um with a coach like Calipari you know he he he's been there done that and you know if he can get them in a tight game. Uh, much like Bill Self, I think that a lot of times, you know, those guys find ways to to out coach you and and win those games in March. So um, that that's the top sixteen uh, according to Joe Lenardi, the bracketologist for ESPN. Um, I I just can't wait for for conference tournaments to get here. We're we're two weeks out, uh, I believe the. Uh, uh, Big 12 tournament starts uh, two weeks from yesterday on a Tuesday. Now that they've got 14 teams, um, it'll be a Tuesday through Saturday um, tournament. Um, just just fired up. Can't wait for it. Um, while we're on this um, college basketball kick, l- let's talk court storming for a minute since it's been such a, a hot-button issue here um, after Wake Forest beat Duke on Saturday and had a court storming that, that um, quote-unquote hurt Filipowski for, for Duke. Um, you know, this is just my personal opinion before we really dive into it. Um, I would bet a large sum of money that if we could get a lie detector test on Kyle Filipowski that he would, that we would learn that his ego was hurt more than his ankle was hurt. Um, that that's my opinion. Um, I've watched that replay probably 150 times and I have a hard time coming up with, man, that, that must've really hurt. Um, I just, I don't see it. And, um, I think that, you know, it hurt their chances of of um, being a top two seed in the tournament, and I think he was he was probably more butthurt about losing that game than he was about um, a couple um, a couple Wake Forest students half his size that um, kind of bumped him. Um, so, you know, I, I could be dead wrong about that, but but 
again, that replay from several different angles does not look like um, his ankle hurt more than his ego. Um, so, but with that being said, I I do think that the court storming thing is it it has reached a place to where it it probably doesn't belong anymore. And I say that not because, you know, I mean, I'm a fan of a team that gets court stormed all the time. You know, can't, can't, you know, Kansas probably gets court stormed more than anybody um, over the course of the last 10, 15, 20 years. Um, You know, and I think that, you know, as it's gone and certainly during Bill Self's tenure here at Kansas, he's, he's kind of, you know, seen the writing on the wall late in games like, Hey, this is probably going to happen where a timeout is called late or, or something of that nature where he gets his guys close to the sideline where they don't have to deal with that. But, but, but I mean, you take a game like the Wake Forest Duke game, you don't have that luxury because it's a tight game. It's a one possession game, uh, and, um, you know, you got a chance to try to win, to, to tie it there, uh, at the end. And so you don't have that luxury of getting your guys close to the sideline so that when it happens, your guys can just, you know, get out of the way and get to the, to the locker room. Um, but you know, there's been several conferences that have put, you know, rules in place as far as fines and, and, and things of that nature. Um, and, and it's obviously not working. I, you know, LSU stormed the court on, I think it was Kentucky the other night. And, um, I think that, I think I saw a number that there were, they were fined a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Um, as an institution, uh, it's obviously not doing anything. Now I will say this, and, and, and I've always been an advocate of this. I love that Jay Billis is such a big talking head in college basketball, specifically because of his law background. Not, not only do I not appreciate his takes because more often than not, his his college basketball takes in general uh, are very well thought out and not biased by any opinion, by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, as a Duke graduate, you would think that that's where he would lean, but he's, he most certainly does do by far the best job of being, um, super objective when it comes to, all of his opinions and his takes. And, and I appreciate that. Um, but I love that he has a law background when it comes to things like this. And when it comes to things like NIL, when it comes to things, uh, uh, uh of getting, you know, um, maybe a player's union, um, f- for, for college athletics and, and basketball and in, in particular, um, you know, one thing that he had mentioned after the the Wake Forest Duke game was, you know, you can put an end to this right now if you want to. You, you know, let them all come out, let them storm the court, 
And then once you get them all on the court, don't let them leave. You're either going to detain them, arrest them, write citations, something. You could stop it right now. Um, you know, but, but like he said, and I agree, that'll never happen because deep down we all love it. You know, I mean, I say that, you know, Kansas has got court stormed on more than probably anybody in the last 15, 20 years, but our football program has been completely the opposite. You know, when they win, when they win a big, just like this year, they beat Oklahoma at home this year. And what was the first thing they did? They all ran out on the field, tore down the goalpost, went through them in Potter Lake. And, and, you know, I mean, so it, it's, he's correct when, when he says, you know, deep down, it'll never, it'll never go away because we all love it. We all love watching it. We all love the, you know, that that's the reason why the NCAA tournament gets so much um, fanfare is because we love seeing the underdog win. And when the underdog wins, we love to see him celebrate. Um, and so, you know, personally, you know, I, as much as I hate to say it, um, Drone Tang at K-State, you know, he, he's trying to um, make that a thing of the past at their place when they beat Kansas. You know, this year, I think they 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 tried to storm the court, and, and instead him and his players went up into the stands and kept them all there and they celebrated up there. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it, there's obviously resolutions to this thing. And, and I think that everybody probably has an opinion and, and on one side of the fence or the other. Um, me personally, I would like to see it go away. It, it's much like the overrated chant, right? Um, when people start cheering overrated, uh, I've always thought that's the dumbest chant ever because basically what you're saying is you're overrated because we're beating you and we suck. So, you know, I mean, there was a time and and um, during the Kansas-Houston game this year, I mean, of all places, Allen Fieldhouse, you've got a you've got a bunch of students yelling overrated to Houston and and it it came to an abrupt halt fast. You know, I mean they they there was obviously some um some upperclassmen that that didn't take very kindly to that overrated chant and and instead started the the rock chalk chant. Um and so, you know, but I, I, I think that the court storming has probably lo- lost its luster, for lack of a better term. Um, I think that there's there's probably better ways to go about it, and I'm I'm not convinced that you know maybe maybe it's not a bad idea for like. K State did the, that that night that they beat Kansas in Manhattan, where you know Tang and the and his and his players went and celebrated with the fans in the stands. So obviously, everybody again will will stand on one side of that fence or the other. But I think that overall, um, my opinion is it probably needs to go away, 
And I, I do think that if schools and conferences wanted to make that happen, they could they could make it happen tomorrow. Um, so it will be interesting to see because, you know, something else just before we wrap this part up, you know, uh, an interest, interesting um, angle that I read was w- how different would this thing be if, if Coach K was still the head coach at Duke instead of John Shire? You know, if if this if the same opinions were coming out of Coach K's mouth and not John Shire's mouth, what kind of legislation would have already been done, right? Um, so, you know, that's an inter- interesting angle to think about, um, and it's probably going to take guys like Bill Self, um, veterans that have been there for a long time, Hall of Fame coaches, you know, like Patino and Calipari and, and those guys that um, that are still in the game, it's probably going to take guys like them and, instead of of guys like John Shire who, who don't have as many skins on the wall um, to make that change happen. Um, okay. Okay. Um, Real quick on the on the filling out your bracket, right? I mean, it's su- it's too simple to go chalk with it. Um, I think that the game with the way that the transfer portal works these days, the game the 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 NCAA tournament is is becoming more and more full of parity than it ever has been. I think. Um, I mean, you think about Kansas's draw last year. They were a one seed, and they drew Arkansas, who, who, um, you know, I mean, starting the season had three potential first rounders on their roster, and and they just didn't live up to the hype. Um, but doesn't mean that their talent went away. Um, and that was who Kansas drew in the second round of the tournament. I mean, you, you, you couldn't you you couldn't ask for a worse draw than that. But I think that that's becoming more and more and more common. Um, where it used to be like you know you could probably count on a, a, a ten seed or two to upset a seven. You could probably count on uh, at least one twelve seed to to beat a five. And and it was starting to become increasingly popular that a 13 and a 14 seed would beat a three and a four seed, respectively. <coughs> it's becoming more and more common where, um, you know, outside of those top four seeds in each region, there's, there's always going to be a team that's either A, senior laden, or B, you know, grabbed, you know, three or four, Guys out of the portal from 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 big time universities, where they weren't playing much, and then they they all um, went to, you know, a mid major. Found a way to win their conference tournament, and now they're ready to make some noise in the big tournament. And so, you know, I think that when you're when you're filling out your bracket, you know, obviously it, it always helps to 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 watch a lot of basketball. Um, to to be able to start to at least make some reason you know make your picks have some um stock behind it 
right? I mean, it, it, it obviously helps, but when you're filling it out blind, like, you know, um, really like my kiddos do, um, I mean, Peyton, he, he's at the university of Kansas and he watches a lot of the, the Jayhawk games, but outside of that, I'm not sure how much he's watching. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I know for darn sure that my daughter doesn't even watch hardly any, any Jayhawk games with us, but she's, she's always there ready to fill out a bracket too. And, um, so when you're doing it, you know, obviously start to put some stock into, you know, um, some, you know, middle of the road SEC schools, middle of the road, big 12 schools, you know, those power five schools that, um, you know, lost seven to nine conference games, um, because they're probably still loaded with, with some, with some transfer portal guys that if, if they get hot, look out um because they're playing every other day in that in that environment um and and can easily wake up and be in the elite eight um so um we'll get more into the tournament here in a couple weeks when when that's actually um uh, when they've done selection Sunday and we get a, we get a chance to to look at how the the real bracket looks and 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 we'll start to to maybe make some some hot take picks at that time. Okay, um, I saw this story the other day, and and I I was um, I was intrigued by it because I, I've I've kind of been watching this trend for a few years, and um, so when this story came out, I I was. I was super intrigued because it was uh, it was everything that I thought was happening was happening. Um, on Monday, it came out that Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, and Tony Pollard, um, J- Jacobs of the Raiders, Barkley of the Giants, Pollard of the Cowboys, are all um, going to be able to test free agency. Um, Jacob's tag would have been a little over 14 million, his franchise tag and Barkley and Pollard's tag would have been just a little over 12 million. Um, it, it's not, well, Let's talk about some other names here for a minute, too, that are going to be a part of that running back free agent class. Derrick Henry is not going to get franchise tagged um, by the Titans. Um, Austin Eckler is going to explore free agency with the Chargers. Um, And others are DeAndre Swift, A.J. Dillon, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Zeke Elliott, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire of the Super Bowl champion Chiefs. Um, are all going to be free agents this year. And that's a that's a big number with some big names. Um, but the league has been trending this way for a while now. And um, the more and more of a passing league it becomes, the less and less um, 
there's a need for a lot of traditional running backs. You, you know, you, you start seeing guys like, you know, McCaffrey, um, who is, you know, getting 16 touches out of the backfield, you know, 16 carries, and then he's catching six passes, you know, and then, um, you know, I mean, touching the ball 22, 24 times that way, but just being able to be um, out in space a lot. Uh, and that's, you know, you, you see that with um, with Kansas City, the way that they, they, they use their backs. Um, they're, they're not your traditional, you know, with McKinnon and, and um, I'm drawing a blank on the other guy's name, but, but, um, you know, they're not your traditional running backs. Pacheco, I, uh, uh, Pacheco's the other one. Um, they're not your standard everyday bruiser, um, getting, you know, three or four yards of carry. Uh, they're guys that, that get, get the ball 12 times out of the backfield and then they catch six to eight passes a game. Um, that's the way that the league is starting to trend. And, and it's crazy to think about, you know, when I was even, you know, in high school, you know, you had guys like, uh, LaDainian Tomlinson and, um, you know, a little bit older than that, Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith and. You know, I mean, we talked about Emmett Smith and how he basically, you know, carried those Cowboys teams in the 90s to three Super Bowl titles. You know, Aikman probably could have been a big, big time deal, but uh, he didn't need to be because he had Emmett Smith and the way that that offensive line, you know, um, moved people around, you know, just hand it to Emmett and let him go do Emmett things. Um, but you know, Barry Sanders was, was a guy that was, um, shifty and, um, you know, didn't, didn't do a lot of pass catching, um, but, um, was going to give you, you know, 1500 to 2000 yards a year. And, um, you're still seeing guys get that, you know, from, you know, from, from the line of scrimmage but it's being done in different ways now. And, and, um, so, you know, you take that running back class that that's got some really good names in it that, um, you know, aren't your typical running back of these days. And, and what, what sucks about it is, is that their, their contracts are, 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 are paying for that. Right. Because I think that, that NFL franchises are starting to find out that, we don't have to give these guys second contracts. Matter of fact, it's probably a dumb, dumb decision to give these guys second contracts. Um, they'll let, let the rookie rookie deal run out, and and then they'll let them go test free agency and uh, draft another guy, and and um, and it doesn't even really need to be a, a a high draft pick anymore. I think there's a lot of organizations in the NFL that feel like. They can go get their, you know, go get their guy in the in the third round. Um, but you know what it means for a lot of those guys is that you know their second contract is um, is not going to be what they've worked their entire 
life for, you know, whereas, you know, that's starting to, to trend toward wide receivers and obviously as it's always been quarterbacks, but, but you're, you're starting to see, um, some tight ends, you know, that, that are, um, you know, more like Kelsey and, and, and Kittle and, um, and those types of guys, um, that are starting to get bigger contracts than, than a lot of those running backs as well. Um, just because they're pass catchers. And so, you know, the league has definitely made a shift and it's not good for the running back department. Um, and, and I hope that, um, eventually the game makes its way back and, and, and finds a way for those guys to be a big part of, of offenses because, um, selfishly i kind of miss that 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 type of football and it it's obviously still has its places um i mean you know w- once you get into january football you, you see a lot of um you'll see a lot of offenses try to 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 just control you know control the 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 clock um, make time of possession a, a, a some something that that is that if it works in your favor, then that means that the other offense that that has the chance to 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 kill you is is not getting that chance because they're sitting on the sideline, you know. And I think that um, when you have backs like that, and um, that's the reason why I think a guy like Derrick Henry is a valuable asset in this free agent class. Um, you know, I think that a guy like Eckler is a good guy to to be able to, um, you know, to to chew clock up. But but, you know that that's uh, it's few and far between because the the first seventeen games of the year is usually not done that way, and and so it, it makes it hard to to justify a big contract for many of those guys. And that's the reason why so many of them are being able to, they're, they're letting them walk and, and go test free agency and see what they can get out of that second contract. So, um, I hope that, that it, it does find its way back because I, again, I do kind of miss that, um, that type of, uh, of game. So, uh, Hey, real quick. Um, you know, I mentioned in the last episode that I dove into a new hobby, here card collecting and card flipping and um <laughs> i had no idea that um it was going to be as um time consuming but in a good way um i, I i've just been enamored with it because it's i i think it's probably and I haven't really put my finger on it yet, but but I'm guessing it's probably because of the nostalgia of it. Um, it it's it's today's players on shiny cards um, with all with all kinds of you know inserts and different types of cards that are included that wasn't that way when I used to do it when I was a kid, um, but it actually makes it more fun, you know, to, to open up one of those packs and see, you know, if, if one of those rare insert cards is in there, I, I haven't opened a ton of cards. My wife would probably argue with you and say different. Um, 
but in the in the in the few packs and boxes that I've opened so far, I've pulled some ridiculously rare cards, um, and it's kind of been almost surreal. Um, to uh, I mean, I I I stopped on my way home from work yesterday uh, at a Walmart and just picked up a little $7 pack of cards. It had 36 cards in it, I think. And, um, there was a $220 Mookie Betts card in it. And, and I just, it's been, I've been riding this hot streak ever since I started it. Um, and, and just, you know, now, now it becomes about the flipping part, right? I mean, I, I pulled the cards, now I got to get them sold. And that's, that's turned out to be more difficult than I thought it would be. Um, but hoping that my luck turns around on that side of it here soon. Um, and, um, and I can continue to, to invest in the hobby because of the, the, the flipping part of of it, the ones that I'm pulling, being able to turn around and sell them, um, and keep doing it that way, because that's that's essentially what I would like to do with the hobby. Um, not spend a ton of money on it, you know, because when I invest, I would like to get, you know, take those cards that I invest in and just turn around and sell them, and just you know keep working my way up to to get bigger and better cards out of the deal. Um, I guess as an investment in, in that, in that regard, but man, I'm having a blast doing it. If any of y'all out there do any of that stuff, hit me up bullpen BS Friday at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what, how you do it. Um, I've talked to a couple guys. We have a local card shop here that I've gone down and talked to a couple guys down there and told them, you know, what my, um, you know, what my, my focus is, and I'm, I'm only doing baseball, only doing tops, uh, 2024 series one cards right now. I think eventually there'll probably, I'll probably dabble in some, just a couple other things, but I really strictly want to stick to baseball. Um, but I mean, and, and they're all for, uh, they, they all think that, that, that that's the way to do it, to stay focused. Um, but man, I'm just having a blast with it. If any of y'all do any of that stuff, hit me up. Would love to chat with you about it. Um, and and if you are into it, uh, let me know, and I can <laughs> point you toward my my collection that I've got for sale on eBay um, right now. Uh, if you're interested in any of those any of those cards that I've got for sale. Um, okay guys. Hey, that's it for tonight. Um, I appreciate everybody continuing to tune in. Um, just continuing to, to support, uh, what we're doing, uh, continuing to listen, continuing to, uh, reach out with ideas and, and just well wishes. Um, it it means more to me than you could possibly imagine. Uh, thank you. We'll continue to, to, uh, ride this thing uh, until we can't so uh, I guess until next time this has been Friday Daddy with Bullpen BS we'll catch you on the next one <laughs>